Back one, two, hey, hey, check it a check. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Derek. Howdy, Derek. Howdy, Jeremy. How you living, Derek? I'm living good, man. How was your week? You had a good week? I did. I had a pretty good week. Man, a couple rough days in there. I didn't even have that much to do. Oh, (laughs) boy. That anxiety starts creeping in Uh, at the end of the night. Oh, man. It's just rough. I think we got the puppy. I think the puppy did it. The puppy did it? They're supposed yeah. to, I thought puppies were supposed to reduce anxiety, make you That's what I it, thought. Make you happy, yeah? That's, that's what not, I thought. That's not how it worked. The yeah, opposite it effect. Opposite effect. Oh, man. Who oh. knows? What are you going to do? Now you can't get rid of the dog. You're stuck. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And that would, re- maybe the realization of that is what, uh, what caused <laughs> yeah, me to have a, anxiety, have a anxiety attack. Uh, you know, they, the, the good news is they do get better over time. Uh, that's good. So, I don't know. Have you been like put did you have you been doing training or anything? Yes, yes. In fact, okay. she's getting a lot better. She can sit, she can Ooh, leave okay. it, she can drop it. She drop can it. she say stop it. Does Come she Luna. It? She stop can't stop it yet. No, she can't stop it. Okay. Um but she doesn't she doesn't really bite our ankles anymore, which apparently mm. is that's apparently it's very good. What kind of dog? Was it a dog that was like a sheep herder or something like a herding yes, dog? Yes, it was they, a herding they dog. They tend to do that. Okay. Yeah, the herding dog. Do that. Um, that's uh, they see. It's funny because they're those dogs are like you, who you humans, you bred me for this, and now you want me to stop? Yeah, you're confusing me. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. Yeah, she's part shepherd, so it's a uh, it's funny. Yeah, it's cute. Uh, we my um my brother in law has a dog that is a similar. Um, I don't know the type of the type of dog it is, but it's one that's bred for herding. And anytime the kids go over there, she'll nip the kids to get the kids to go like where she wants them to go. <laughs> Like not, you know, she's not biting them, but she just she'll like kind of nip nibble, you know. And uh, anyway, they don't like it. They uh, they're scared of the dog because they think they think she's biting them. But you know, anyway, that's just you know, we did it. We did it to the you know, we did it to the dogs. Poor dogs. It's not their yep. fault. I know. I know. I don't blame Luna. That's the name of the dog. Luna. That's right, Luna. Oh, Luna. Uh, so Derek, I uh, I got a chance to hang out with a friend of the show, Doug Poirier, this week. Fuck we were hanging you. out all week at this big uh, work event. We had a big work conference where a bunch of people came in from all over the world. And we were hanging out. Whoa. Um, Doug and I were hanging out eating Indian food like literally every day. <laughs> we had, we, you know, we have a big team in India. And so they were, you know, trying to accommodate and they, they had Indian food like literally every day. I don't, I don't think I've ever eaten so much Indian food in my life. I had it for lunch and dinner when they were, they would provide dinner and it'd also be like Indian. Yesterday, Derek, I think my old tummy was like, you can't have any more antacid. You can't have any more Alka-Seltzer. We're done. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not eating. I can't do it. I just Today I had a salad yeah, <laughs> for lunch. Yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> oh, my God. It was good. It was very good. But, God, it was just like heavy and just oh, spicy and everything else. My, my, my stomach was was not agreeing. I can't imagine what it would be like uh, when I went to I told you a few, few months back that I thought I might be going to India. Yeah. Well, they moved me to a new project. So now that there's no team in India, so... I probably won't be going to India at this point uh, unless someone can find a reason for me to go, <laughs> which I would love to go. Me too. I just, uh, I have no, um, you know, business need, I guess. And therefore, uh, I'm certainly not paying for that trip by myself because <laughs> that is an expensive plane ticket. If you don't need but, to know, you don't need to go. That's what they keep that's telling right. me. Yeah. If you don't need to know, you don't need to go. So anyway, Derek, what do you want to talk about today, man? How's, you want to talk about anything good? You know, what you got? I was thinking about something this week, Jeremy. Now that you mention it, mm-hmm. teams have trouble modernizing their processes, you know? 
Um, they do. Not because they don't know the steps, right? But because they see their future as if it was like a different universe. Hmm. Okay. Like you know the two 1985s from Back to the Future. Like when, uh, familiar. when, you know, like when, uh, Doc Brown's drawn on the board, one 1985 and then this 1985 and one of them, like Biff Tannen is like, mm. he's like the bad guy. He's like he running is, the yeah. town. He has a big he's casino. A rich, yeah, he's got the casino. He's got the, the gang. Yep. Yeah. And if your whole life is spent oppressed by Biff Tannen, you wouldn't have <laughs> like the mental space or freedom to come up with the enchantment under the sea dance or mm. to ride around on your skateboard or to like play in the band and do all these things that are very enriching and very like can make you grow as a person or the team or whatever because you got Biff Tannen on yes. Oh, Biff. So Biff was the worst. The idea was that a team can't really see beyond its bubble. And mm. I was talking to a team member about this recently. A bubble or their universe is like the bubble. And unless someone comes in and bursts the bubble, water flows out. Everyone's really cold and they realize that they've been <laughs> in this bubble too long. And uh -huh. they realize that, oh, wait a minute. The world can be different than this? I don't have to take 15,000 steps to do the simplest thing. Or it's not okay to release software to production that's broken. That's not okay. I thought <laughs> that was right? okay because that's what we do. And you tell us, you told us to do that. So my question and my topic was around how do you get a team to see another universe? Mm. That's an interesting question, Derek. You know, I, I don't know the answer to this necessarily, but my hypothesis would be it starts at the top. <laughs> Interesting. I feel like, you know, that could be an organic thing. But, you know, at the same time, I feel like that's got to be something that's reinforced by the leadership team. And if the leadership team is constantly enabling that behavior, not holding people accountable for releasing code that with bugs to production, not letting people know that it's okay to release a few days late if that means there's no bugs or you know, whatever other example that you gave a minute ago. If the leadership team is not reinforcing the right behaviors, the behaviors won't change. And I think that is probably where a lot of this is resolved is with the team uh, up at the top that is in either, either enabling good behavior or bad behavior. That's my guess. Yeah, that's, that's really, that's a really interesting, interesting uh, uh, way to, to look at it because, you know, it sort of like comes to the question of where do you start? You know, mm -hmm. where do you start? Do you start at the bottom where everybody revolts? <laughs> you know, is that like what you're trying to get to happen? And, I, you know, this weekend I also tried to think of something else. And maybe this different universe is a different sort of state of being for a team. And teams need to cross different thresholds to go through these phases. The first phase is... I don't know what the hell we're doing. We're just wild west in code. Ain't nobody checking in code. They got not following processes. We got people writing terrible things. Things going out. There's no no organization at all. That's like mm -hmm. chaos is seems like the first stage of a project, you know? Or at least like maybe the first day on a really really good team is chaos, you know? Mm -hmm. When you start a new thing. Yeah. And then it comes into the phase of bureaucracy. So 
all of a sudden you need checklists for everything and you need to make sure you know exactly the steps to follow to do all these different things. And then you reach this sort of new stage of rapid advancement where you realize that the steps that you wrote can actually be automated out of necessity where I now I'm a software developer so I can automate these processes out. That's a software state, which is special, I think, in software in a lot of ways. Um, but then there's a final state, a state of kind of enlightenment, when you realize I've taken a look at the bigger picture and none of the steps are necessary to begin with. <laughs> it's actually more important that we go crap? do other things. Yeah. So how do you get a team from chaos to enlightenment? Do you always have to take them through all those phases? Are each of those phases... Like if I like for example, if you were in a state of enlightenment where you could you were in perfect communication with the people who were doing the work, who need mm -hmm. software, and understood how to build software at a very high level. Yeah. That is something and it was only you. So you didn't need to really communicate with them. That's like the ideal situation, right? Because then the commuter, few communication lines and all this stuff. If yeah. someone saw you and they were in an organization that was in chaos, would they see you as like an alien? <laughs> or would they think, wow, I well, want to be like that? So, you know, I guess I'm, I'm kind of reminded of, of some of the consultants we've talked to over the years, right? That that always talk about coming in and, and talking to the people that work there. Yeah. And I can't remember if it was Doc Norton or if it was one of the other, John or somebody who, who mentioned this, but there's often this sort of like a Stockholm syndrome almost where people get into this habit of, and maybe complacency, maybe they, they just don't think there's a better way, realize there's a better way or think they'll never get to that better state. This is the way it is. This is the way it's always been. Me trying to change it probably won't do anything. And so you end up with this sort of kind of, mentality I think that you're talking about is probably how you get there in the first place if I had to guess. But again, I think it goes back to reinforcing the right behaviors. If, you know, humans in general and, and software engineers, designers, whomever, I mean, they're all very smart and they all want to change. And I think if you empower a team to change, to find the best ways to work, they often will gravitate towards that way because they see the inefficiencies and humans tend to not want to be inefficient. Right. They want to be efficient. They want to think like realize their work has value. They want to they want to add value back to the system, right? That sort of like herd mentality of of doing what's right for the whole team. And I think a lot of people would tend to gravitate towards that way. And the question is why does why does it not happen, right? And I think it tends to go back to what we said before, which is that reinforcing bad behavior or enabling bad behavior or you know, maybe there's a stick that's, you know, there's no carrot to improve or there's there's a stick. When someone tries to change, they're reprimanded in some way or held back or whatever it is. You know, they're going against the team, so they're not given a promotion or a raise. And people see that. And so they stop. So, you know, I don't know. Will someone, will you be seen as an outsider? I think it all depends on the culture of the team. Um, more often than not, I think there are people who want to change. Like, if, I think it was John who mentioned this when, when John Arendelle, when we talked to him, not, uh, you know, forever ago at this point, <laughs> right. but, you know, he would find the people and they would tell him what was wrong. But why, you know, why did it take the consultant to come in to change it if those people all knew what was wrong? You know, it could be that leadership didn't trust them. 
It could be that, you know, leadership thought they had a better answer. Leadership wanted to bring an outside person because they didn't think anybody internally could change it. So, you know, I don't know the answer, but I have a feeling it's got a lot to do with that empowering teams to, to do the best work they can. They probably will. They probably will find or at least try to do the best thing that they can. You know what I mean? I think. That's my gut. I'm not a psychologist. So I, don't <laughs> I can't say for certain. But I have a feeling that it's something along those lines. I don't know. So something you've probably felt before, by the way, I agree with you. And I felt the same way, that when you reinforce, incentivize, and empower good behaviors, mm-hmm. you get good results almost yeah. every time. And you get more good behaviors. And you get and you get behaviors that you didn't even know you 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 actually could spawn behaviors that were good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's a really good point. So we gotta empower our people. That's what you're saying. I think so. You say it starts at the top. In an organization where I felt like I've made a difference, I never made a difference in spite of my leadership and felt good about it. So mm. because it's always such a struggle. Yeah, it's um, like exhausting. You're like, yeah, I did it, but oh yeah, God, it yeah. It and sometimes it? Yeah. it feels good, but usually what ends up feeling good is the release of the pressure, and then the feeling of freedom that mm-hmm. I can actually go and learn new things, and the the these new ideas are I actually have time and space, mental space to like go and learn them. Like we don't upgrade. Because new features are available in our software. That's not why we do it. We do it mm-hmm. because the software has been deprecated for two years. And if we don't upgrade now, someone's going to find out. We live in a constant state, many teams do, of not wanting to be bothered. And I, it's funny because I found that this is actually a psychological thing. I grew up with it. You know, I grew up in a house where... My childhood was a lot of like, I don't want to be bothered. I was an only child raised by, mostly by two women, um, okay. my grandmother and my mom. And my whole childhood was like, all right, I'm going to try to avoid bothering these people. Because if I avoid bothering them, then they won't bother me for stuff. And so I just <laughs> kind of kept to myself and figured out. What, what made out. you think that? I mean, did they tell you like, hey, you're bothering me. Leave me alone, kid. Did no, 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 no. It's just like, just, it's just like just if, if you step out of line or you do something that it just gets, it just makes me uh, not being able to play my video games or do whatever. So what you're saying is you were kind of self-censoring in a, in a way. I was self-censoring. I was self. I think we do that. Yeah. yeah. I think that is part. But that's, again, it goes through the sort of incentives, right? Like if you don't, if, if you put, get a big, especially a group, a big group. Like, I think when the larger the team, the harder it is to change. And if somebody thinks that their time and effort probably won't amount to much, the chances are good they won't bother doing it. And I think this is often why startups tend to be more nimble. They're smaller. It's easier. There's less system. The system is smaller. There's less connections. there's There's less complexity in the system. And so... You know, you can make a suggestion and, and then someone's like, oh, yeah, go do it. And then, boom, you, you've got a new thing and you're turning the ship. A giant team with thousands of people, how does one person change that group's culture or that group's process or whatever without a lot of work? <laughs> and a lot of help. 
and a lot of help, exactly, from other people. And so why do that, especially if you're not getting paid more for it? I think that's often what it comes down to quite a bit. And, and when, you know, those consultants come in and they talk to people and they tell them all what's wrong with everything, why does it take a consultant to come in and change? <laughs> it's probably because the leadership found some value in hiring that person and they, you know, there's a perception of value because you're paying extra. Mm, interesting. I'm giving you thousands of dollars. So you have to, I, I, if I don't take your advice, I'm wasting my money. So, oh Jesus. Now you're getting into right? like sunk costs. Exactly. And, yeah. So, well, that, well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, even the sunk cost, it's just like that, that would be, cause it might not be a sunk cost necessarily, but it, it, it's, there's a psychological impact there that I'm yeah, paying yeah. money and therefore it has some extra value. I see. I, there's like interesting economics, uh, concepts and stuff about this where, um, when someone has spent money, or paid for a thing, they find more value in it, regardless of how much they spent. So, like, the thing, I think there's, like, some some study that was done years and years and years ago, but it was, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this to hell, but the idea is similar. They would give somebody a thing, right, like a $5 bill, and they would tell them, like, give me the $5 bill back for some reason, or pay me, pay me something, you know, buy this thing with the $5 bill. And people were less likely to hand over that money. But if somebody, the, the experiment was something like you would not do something and lose out on getting $10 and more pe- people would do it. They would lose the opportunity to get 10 bucks, but they were less willing to give you $5. Interesting. So, you know, it's a similar kind of thing. Like when it comes to this like idea of like consultants, like why, why is, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it is even really related, but I, I think there's some psychological relation some some relation as far as psychological ideas and, and things go um but you know when that happens and the leadership pays money for these consultant agencies to come in and tell them what was wrong those consultant agencies i would i would be willing to bet most of the time are just listening to the, the good ones at least are listening to the people that work there and they're telling them exactly what's wrong and exactly what needs to be fixed and those answers are just jumping out at them and they're probably not even going back and doing any any and they you know they're probably doing work i'm sure not to say they're they're not worth the money but my point is that those consultants the good ones at least are probably going in there and seeing that system talking to the people understanding what's broken and for one reason or another leadership values that consultant over all the people that work there more often than not yeah yeah you know it's funny you know because even if there are people on your team today who you feel like are brilliant and have great ideas, but are part of a system or are stuck in this bubble, um, it is likely that they are being ignored because they are seen as, well, you've been here this long. Why are you just now telling me this? We had someone join our team recently you know, I say within the past month or two, every single idea this person has is treated like, wow, you should see the documentation <laughs> this person's right. Yeah. All ideas we've had, all ideas we've talked about, in some cases, yeah. they're just not as not as concrete, not not even as good, just like different ideas, but all around Fresh the same thing. Yeah. But it's a new person. It's a new person. They're like, oh, well, maybe this new person can save us because all of the yeah. other new people didn't save us. So bursting out of the bubble, we kind of determine that the bubble is created by someone. And that's kind of what you alluded to. Someone created that bubble. 
and someone has the pin to pop it. Who's mm-hmm. got the pin? And maybe right. in your organization, you need to decide who's got the pin. If you feel like your team can pull together and create one and pop the bubble that way, maybe that's what you have to do. But that requires time, energy, and willingness from people who've probably been beaten down over the past few years. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise, why would you want to pop the bubble? You know, the bubble won't yeah. expand, essentially. You're kind of stuck and suffocating. But the leaders, if the leaders are unwilling, then my hypothesis about all this is the leaders got to go. I don't, yeah. I don't even think that you want to keep the same people employed in that role if you want to change the culture. Yeah. Like if Bill at the top says, team A is, is not delivering, what's wrong with team A? And they can't provide a reason. And the team all says, the culture here is terrible. There's no quality. There's no anything. Yeah. Sorry, guy who I in, put in charge of all this. You got to go. We yeah. need someone else. I, I think that is often the case. I mean, if you look at a lot of giant corporations, like the place we work, for instance, right? We had these CEOs come in that were all from the inside. Yeah. And they ran the con- the company almost into the ground. Stock was basically more than half of what it was valued years before. And it took somebody from the outside coming in and completely changing the business. I mean, com- like literally broke up the giant conglomerate into separate individual businesses. That's the end goal. And the stock in- is worth more than it's ever been. The company is making more money than it than it than it probably has in a long time. They're not losing money and hemorrhaging money in in the in in manufacturing space like they used to. And I think that's a lot of times it is a thing where somebody has to embrace an outsider. Now, in the case you're talking about, a little different because your your team had these same ideas. That's that's not exactly the same thing. But I think a lot of times leadership is stifling some amount of innovation. And I wouldn't even say it's even the people at the top because if the people at the top were to ask, they would probably question why the middle managers are doing this. Yes. To me, a lot of times it's middle management. Yeah, I think you Because right. they're stuck in a weird spot, right? They have to prove to their bosses that what they're doing is valuable. They have to get the people beneath them to deliver on the things they were told to deliver on, you know? And so the middle managers are, not to say middle managers are bad, they're, they're valuable and they're useful because they they're kind of bridge the gap between the high and, the and you know, strategy, long-term strategy and the, and the short-term execution. But a lot of times, bad middle managers at least, will do what they're told and tell their team to do what they're told without inspiring them to do it, without allowing them to figure out how to do it the best way possible, micromanaging very often, and not and keeping that bubble in place because the bubble is the status quo. Yeah. Right? And so their job is to really maintain the status quo quite often. And I, I would, not, well, not even maybe their job, their idea of what their job is, is to maintain the status quo. And if you were to talk to the leadership up at the top, the CEOs of these, some of these companies would probably quite, like, if you were to ask them, they'd be like, no, that's not what I want you to do. <laughs> you know, you're doing exactly what I said, the words, but you didn't follow the spirit of what I said, you know. You're, you're finding loopholes to do the work around innovating or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Anyway, so that's I don't I don't know, man. I feel it's kind of interesting, but I feel like that's sort of often at these big companies what ends up happening is the middle managers just sort of don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to upset. They they don't want to manage up or they're not good at managing up. 
you know, and so they tend to, you know, I don't know, not really allow innovation and change beneath them sometimes. Not to say every middle manager is like this, obviously, but I feel you like know, large companies, that's often what people tend to complain about when they complain about middle management. Well, there's a dangerous piece to this, too, where you could be a forward-thinking person who cares about the quality of the work you do and go into an organization that has these toxic behaviors, and you can be infected by it. I was working today. I was on a meeting today, and someone in the meeting said, we're not ready for this initiative. Like, we're not ready to go. It was supposed to go this weekend. This particular initiative was supposed to go live this weekend. We mm -hmm. can't do it. Like, there are too many risks. There's too many things that we don't know. And the person that was running it said, I know that there are risks, but if we don't do this, it's going to look really, really bad on my review. Mm, yeah. And I said, That's such Whoa. a terrible reason to do well, it's, it, right? Well, it was, <laughs> it was, it was said, it was said in a, in a half serious, half joking way. So everybody kind of mm. giggled for a second. Then I thought about it. I was like, whoa, wait a minute now. The funny thing is, is there is no deadline for this work. Yeah. It is well, just it something. Someone just made it up. It's something that we think will help with some uh, stability related things that we're doing. But there's no, I mean, there's no like short term guarantee it's going to cause any significant benefit to anything. And it also can be postponed with no problem to get to get people to better understand things so deep breaths were taken the person that originally the thing that is interesting too in organizations where there are uh people who dissent against the toxic behavior there are people that become infected the other way and mm. like sometimes i find there are people that you think don't see things a certain way and all of a sudden they start to so the guy who said we have a lot of problems and we need to work on them, that was the guy that used to want to release straight to production and not test. Oh, wow. And all of a sudden, his yeah. mind has changed. So there can be bright spots. And even in a toxic organization, if you focus on the individuals, that minds are being changed. And you know what's funny to me is I think that the people whose minds are most recently changed – are the biggest agents for change and the strongest allies you can have if you really want to change an organization because the light just switched on for them so they know what it feels like and they can possibly even explain what that feeling is to someone who doesn't feel that way. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting little like meeting today. I was like, oh my God, no way. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so one other thing I want to I want to touch on, I don't know if you've ever heard this uh idea before, the lost Einsteins. Have you ever heard? That's an awesome band name. Is it is it actually a band? It sounds or like an awesome band name. Oh, okay. The Lost Einsteins. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you got me good. I thought for a second that was like yeah. actually a band. Uh anyway, so there's this concept called Lost Einsteins, and it's a, it's really talking about children that grow up in poverty or underprivileged uh, communities that don't get access to, you know, education or whatever. It could even be just, you know, improper food, which causes, you know, them to not develop like everybody else, right? Like if they live in a food desert. But the idea is that, you know, some of these kids could be the next Einstein, but we didn't nurture them. We didn't help them grow in a way that allows them to become the next Einstein. And some of the stuff like you're talking about to me kind of sounds like this in, in maybe a corporate sense where 
Um, you've got a team of people who are smart or who are capable, who could do great things, but the team and the culture stifles them and doesn't let them become great. Stallions. The next stallions. They don't let them become the stallions. <laughs> Wasn't it the lost stallions? Wasn't that from uh, <laughs> Bill and Ted or the last stallions? Wild stallions. The wild, st- the wild stallions. <laughs> Well, the Lost Stallions sounds like a, that's a cool band name too. Uh, not as cool as Lost Einsteins, but anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. That's kind of that, that when you mentioned that earlier, that got me thinking about this idea of the Lost Einsteins, um, and it's kind of it's kind of an interesting concept, you know. Uh, it, it's but it's funny. It's I'm reminded of that silly meme that was going around LinkedIn every every once in a while it goes around LinkedIn, and it's like a you know the CFO talking to the CEO. And the CFO is like, well, what if we pay money for all this, p- these people, we train them and they leave, you know, and the CEO says, well, what if we, what if we don't and they stay, <laughs> you know, same kind of thing. Um, you know, it, it's like it, you, you're stifling these people and they stick around. Um, they're not going to do anything great. And, you know, you're just going to end up being mediocre at best, you know. Yeah. And it's just depending what you want your organization to be. If you want to be a middling organization that doesn't do great work, please. Don't do any of these things we're saying. Don't worry about it. Just go ahead and just keep living in fear uh, of your bosses and pain every day because you're doing unnecessary work. But if you care, maybe you should think about it. Try it. I yeah, don't know. Do something different. Yeah, just do something different, you know? Listen to the Who's podcast. Buy a sticker. <laughs> do something different. <laughs> Listen to the podcast. Tell your friends. Share the show in your work Slack channel. That'd be great. CEO. Struggling, though. Help your team be better software engineers. Tell them about Retro Time Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we could have saved the day. Yeah, we'll give you a, a 97% no-suck guarantee. Yes. Yeah. It's all, always that 3% chance. Yeah. Well, you never know. You can't, you can't be ever exact. You can't really be exact about anything in these days, Derek. It's true. It's probability, baby. So I like, I like that concept, though, of, of the bubble. And the bubble is the status quo, and you got to burst the bubble. Yes. I like that. Um, I dig it. So I thought of something interesting for when we, uh, you know, at the end of a show, I kind of want to give a special little shout out, but I want to do it using AI. <laughs> okay. Like so I will, I'll, uh, I'll just have it give us a sign-off um, thing from me, a special sign-off, uh, and I'll give it a prompt, and, it, and then I'll say whatever it says, okay? Is it using ChatGPT? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> oh, you go do your sign off and then I'll do mine. Oh, I thought you yeah, were yeah. going to change this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, for a second, I thought you were going to say you're going to go do something and then like punch it in later, but you're, you're, this is all real time, baby. All right. All right. Check us out at retrotimepodcast.com. Get yourself a sticker, retrotimepodcast.com slash sticker. If you want to leave a five star review, check out those review jams, retrotimepodcast.com slash reviews. Derek and I will write you a song at some point. In the future. I was going to say not too distant future, but at this point, it's been distant. <laughs> uh, we got all those. We, we, we kind of held you over last time with that little little taste. We gave you a little taste of what, what's to come. But uh, we'll, we'll do it for real at some point. And uh, I think that's it, Derek. I'm done. And that's it for tonight's broadcast, folks. Remember, life is like radio. You get out of it what you tune in for. So keep your dial locked in to the frequency of positivity, curiosity, and adventure. Until next time, keep the volume up and the weirdness term all the way up to 11. See you next time. What did you you type in to get that? (laughs) Give me a cool, weird sign-off for a radio show. (laughs) 
Uh, what was weird about that? Wasn't that weird? Was he it? said, they said, uh, keep the volume and the weirdness turned all the, the way up to 11. <laughs> Both. Is that the same knob or is it two knobs? You have a two, two That's a knobs? double knob right there. It's, it's one knob. of those knobs that you turn one part to do one and then the, you gotta uh-huh. go like this to turn the other part. See, because what I would expect would be, uh, this is a cool interface design. You turn it all the way to 11, the volume, mm. and then you keep turning it. And that's weirdness. Anything over 11 <laughs> it starts going weirdness. That's brilliant. <laughs> Past 10, 11, well, 11 loudness, you know. You got you to gotta have that. Uh... Oh, God, what's the name of that band? Oh, the, the, name the Little that Einsteins. The Lost Einsteins. Oh. 